0: I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and welcome to this year's Can We Awareness Week. Can We is the Companion Animal and Nutrition Wellness Institute. And every year we do an Awareness Week to bring valuable insights and information to you, the pet parents. This year's Awareness Week is entitled Insights into Commercial Pet Food. Can we do better? Yes, we can. And every day we're interviewing an esteemed guest within the pet food industry to help us better understand the issues, the latest research, and what we can do as veterinarians and pet parents to nourish our animals better. I hope you enjoy today's interview. Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Donna Ratatik, and I am here with the Companion Animal Nutrition and Wellness Institute. This is our Awareness Week, and we're going to be talking and focusing about commercial pet food. And I am very delighted today to have a very special person, Nicole Kamek. And Nicole is here to talk to us about pet foods. So, Nicole, how did you, what was your journey to get involved in, in this whole world of pet food? How did that happen?
1: Yeah. So it kind of happened by accident. And like many people in the pet industry, I fell into it because I had a sick pet. Um, I was originally working and formally educated on the human side. Um, I worked in everything from emergency medicine to pharmaceutical research and a little bit in human nutrition. And one of the things that struck me, um, as I was dealing with my own sick dog, is a lot of physicians on the human side would often tell their very ill patients that nutrition didn't matter. And that was something that really got my wheels turning. Uh, And as I ventured into uh, switching over into companion animal, I knew that there were a lot of gaps. And I started to see some of the differences or some of the claims that were made with pet food that I knew would never fly in the human sector and figured that the best way for me to approach or to dive into animal nutrition was to uh, get a formal education in human nutrition. Um, So that way I could see some of the gaps and, and hopefully start to dive into some of the research that was needed on the animal side.
0: It's really interesting because um, when I started, before I did my um, veterinary education, um, my undergrad, I took all human nutrition courses, you know, how much they knew in human nutrition and then some animal science nutrition type courses and everything. So getting that kind of foundation is really, I I think it's very important. So from the work that you've done and, um, your studies and, and what you know about the pet food industry, how do you select pet foods? How, you know, how would you help your clients, um, to select what
1: you think might be better pet foods. That's a big responsibility. It is. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that every situation, whether it's financial, whether it's personal human beliefs, whether it's the health status of the animal, I believe that every situation is different. So my approach is going to be different for every person that is in front of me. That said, it's a really difficult question to answer on how to select pet foods, because, not because it's a difficult question to answer, but but because most pet food companies don't do their due diligence. So the reality is that we have a lot of, I would argue, safety gaps as well as nutrition gaps in industry. And um, it's really, you know, unfortunately, spending a lot of time doing homework and following up with companies to try and get answers uh, about the foods that are in the marketplace today. So what
0: kind of questions are you asking pet food manufacturers and pet food companies?
1: Yeah, so there's a bunch. uh, But top three for me, um, one is food safety. I want to know that it doesn't necessarily matter to me whether that company makes the food themselves or it's made by a third party. What I want to know is do they have proper food safety culture and of course certification within the facility that the food is made? Uh, those things are really important. And in my mind, it becomes even more important than sourcing. You know, a lot of people like to focus on country of origin for for various ingredients. And, you know, there is importance to that, but regardless of where the ingredients come, it's it's important to make sure that they're safe. Uh, So that's certainly a a question that is always top. The other two go hand in hand. I want to know if they're testing the final product to make sure that it meets at least minimal nutritional guidelines. And then I want to know that that food is digestible. So you can have the best levels of nutrients in the world in the food, but if the animal can't digest it, what good is it?
0: That makes a lot of sense. And um, you know, there's just it's a big world. I mean, the pet food industry is huge. And, you know, safety has got to be first. I mean, we certainly don't want to put something in the bowl that's going to make our dog or cat sick. But then you're right. I mean, the labels have all this amazing stuff on it. And people read ingredients, and people are searching out all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, we've got to make sure that that food is digestible, and they can absorb nutrients. And One of the things I always tell clients when they switch to diets, one indicator of digestibility is if their stools are less, you know, they're less waste products means more nutrients going in and i consider that a good sign unless of course i put them on a weight loss diet and there's a lot of fiber and then they make more stool that's a whole different story but um and you know that digestibility thing um companies
1: how do they test for that can they can they do testing for that yeah so um it's it's funny because a lot of companies don't do it, right? So a lot of companies don't do the nutritional analysis and they don't do the digestibility. And the reason they'll, most of them will give you is, oh, it's an ethical concern and we don't test on animals. And the reality is that it's not a laboratory horrific type of testing that we think of when we hear animal testing. Uh, Really what it is, is we feed the food to an animal for a short period of time, typically, you know, seven to 14 days somewhere in there and collect the stool, send it off to the lab and figure out what the animal digested and what the animal excreted. Um, It's a very simple math equation. Um, Obviously, it's a little oversimplified, that explanation, but essentially that's what it is. It can be done in a kennel, um, and there's several of those throughout the U.S. And the other way to do it, um, which I don't think is a problem, is having people feed the food at home and collect the stool and send it off from there. Um, That's also, in my mind, an acceptable way to go about it. And I think a, the big miss for a lot of people is if the company is not doing that, then essentially your dog is being experimented on. They're the laboratory test. So you want a company that is doing their due diligence in doing that. It's, it's a very inexpensive test. And there's really, at this point, no reason why companies should be in the marketplace without that.
0: Very, very interesting. So it's all in the poop. It's a scoop. is in the poop. I say this all the time. <laughs> and that's not invasive so pet parents can ask these types of questions right and and if they if they contact a their company and they say you know do you do digestibility um what other question might they ask that would give you or me and them some assurance that this company is really making an effort you know making an effort to provide a safe quality type of product
1: Yeah, another question that's important is who formulated the food? Um, You know, you have a lot of people that have their hearts in the right place that um, formulate food, but they're not necessarily qualified to do so. there's a variety of different people that are qualified to do so, or that have training. Uh, but the reality is that there, the number of people in the industry is very few. I think probably between you, and maybe a couple other people, we know all of them. Um, it's it's a very small industry, and so uh, you want to know who's who's behind it, and then you want to it all goes together. You want to know if they're validating that product, are they testing the final product, um, is it free of contaminants, and are they doing those uh, digestive? Studies, all those things matter. Excellent, excellent.
0: So. I know that you're pretty excited because you have a presentation, an abstract presentation at a major meeting coming up and that's gonna be followed by a publication where you did a pretty intense survey looking, um, asking pet parents who were feeding raw diets or I'm gonna call them minimally processed so I don't get everybody whatever, uh, minimally processed raw type diets. And you asked some good questions uh, And that's pretty exciting. So, what kind of take home messages or what did you learn from that?
1: Yeah. So, we distributed the survey at the beginning of 2020 all over the internet, all over the world. And basically, what we were looking for is cases where humans that in households that were feeding raw or minimally processed diets, uh, if to determine if if they had any pathogenic transmission. So in essence, if they got any sort of foodborne illness as a result of having a raw food diet in the house. And we had zero confirmed cases. We had a few potential or possible cases, um, but ultimately what we found, which matched up with other previously published research is that these cases are incredibly rare. Um, The two other kind of takeaways are that the veterinary industry is largely not testing. So there could be more, um, but largely that they're not testing to confirm um, if foodborne illness for, as a result of minimally processed diets is an issue. Uh, but the big, big takeaway, regardless of diet, whether you're feeding kibble, whether you're feeding canned, freeze dried, air dried, jerky, um, minimally processed, is food safety and food handling. So simply, how are you storing the food, how are you cleaning up after you make your pets food and are you washing your hands? Um, Those things regardless of diet are the biggest, or or, are the things I should say that can make the biggest impact in relation to foodborne illness. You know, that's so
0: interesting you say that because I know the veterinary community really has a tough time with raw diets. I mean, they just, you know, no raw, they don't want to they don't want to talk about it. They don't know a lot about it. And they always, you know, if, if they find out a a dog's on raw, you know, instantly that makes them all nervous. Um, but the commercial raw diets, you know, that are, you know, they have to align, right? Just like the kibble diets. They fall under FDA. So if they're not, if they get caught with salmonella or bacterial pathogens, you know, those commercial raws are they can get in trouble, but so can the dry foods. And most recently it's been actually recalls on dry foods. So your message is really important because we as veterinarians need to start telling clients: dry food, canned food, treats, chews, whatever you're feeding. It should be safe food handling. And I have clients who I do homemade diets for now they're handling chicken, right? Beef, human chicken, human beef. That doesn't actually that can will have bacteria, won't it? Because that's allowed because it's intended to be cooked. So I have to keep reminding them safe food handling.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest um, thing that around that subject that People and veterinarians don't realize is that the food you and I purchase from the grocery store for ourselves, vegetables included, um, vegetables, meat, it's largely contaminated, right? We are told to cook our food, which is the kill step. uh, So it eliminates those pathogens. So therefore, the um, commercial food, it falls under the same policy that commercial pet food, other commercial pet foods would have. And that's a zero tolerance. They're not allowed to have any bacteria whatsoever present in that food. And if they do, as you said, it'll trigger a recall. Um, so yes, you know, there is a big need to differentiate between the minimally processed or raw commercial diets and the minimally processed or raw Homemade diets. Uh, but interesting thing is, in our survey, we really don't seem to see a difference or a higher prevalence of pathogenic transmission, even with those home-prepared diets. So there obviously is a lot more research that's needed. But it's re- even given the risk of of meat that's coming from the grocery store for pets, um, there doesn't seem to to be a, an issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, um, th- this is going to
0: be, a. it's going to be great to see that piece come out because I think we as veterinarians, we just, you know, we're taught bacteria are everywhere. So washing your hands, all that type of things, you know, the way you raise your children, <laughs> what you do in the kitchen. I mean, that should just, it's common sense. It's really common sense at the end of the day, but for some reason we get all hyped up about things, um, you know, But that'll be really, really uh, a good piece to get into and get out to the public and to veterinarians so we can all learn more about feeding these types of diets. Um, The other thing I want to ask you, so you have really had kind of an interesting journey professionally. And I happen to know, I I think you're going to take another path now. Where are you going now and what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, so um I currently now own um a pet store here in Connecticut that's a lot different than uh a lot of other pet stores because we focus on the science of nutrition and food safety. We work really closely with veterinarians, so you know very, very lucky and fortunate in that sense. Um, but I wanted a little bit more and uh so I am moving to Georgia to attend the University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine uh, for a degree in comparative biomedical sciences or uh, animal nutrition, companion animal nutrition, um, starting this fall in a few weeks.
0: Oh my, oh my. So you're actually going to pursue a doctorate program, a PhD program in animal nutrition. That's really
1: exciting. I am beyond excited
0: you're an overachiever. That's what you are.
1: (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but um, no, I'm, I'm incredibly excited. I know a lot of people um, think I might be a little bit crazy and that might be true, but I am incredibly excited. Uh, I think that these types of programs and these types of opportunities and this type, these types of research really, are going to begin to move the dial in terms of the way that we practice human and animal medicine. Um, I really think that they can make an incredible difference in the way that we live our lives and the way our pets live their lives.
0: Well, I know Can We is part of your journey. Um, Our Can We supporters are supporting your journey and your journey is our journey. It's a mission for us to all learn how to use nutrition, how to move that dial in the pet food industry world to produce better products, safer products, healthier products. Um, And I know that's gonna be your drive. I know that's your passion, that's been our mission. Um, We love having individuals like you be stars because you're going to be the spokesperson. You're gonna be the next one out there telling pet parents how to feed better, helping the industry to produce better diets. Thank you so much, Nicole, for joining me today. Um, I'm just really excited to have you a part of the Canway family. And we're going to
1: watch your journey. And we're going to live vicariously through you. How's that? Thank you so much for your support, uh, and all of your supporters, uh, generosity and in donating to Canway. It's all I think going to be a really good thing for everyone.